All right, let's go. I think most of our families have made it back in here. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 6 and just have it marked there. That's where we're going to start today. Uh, Before we get there, I just wanted to update you on something. Um, For those of you that are are new or haven't been here for a while, you may not have heard this, but there's a church on the south side of town that supports us in prayers. They support us financially. They don't send us a lot of money, but they send us money just to show that they support us, and that's Grace Church. You remember me talking about Grace Church? They're a Southside church that um, the elementary school and the schools in their district are some of the most affluent schools in the city. Um, they don't have free, very many kids on free and reduced lunch and those kinds of things. And they do missions like us. They like to do missions all over the world, but they also recognize that Springfield's a mission field. Like the north side of town um, is, is a mission field that they wanted to engage in. And so Grace has like, done some incredible things with us. They partner with us on power packs. They partner with us when we got... Um, through you know High Street and One Soul Purpose, got shoes for every kid in the school. Like they partner with a lot of those things. Um, but this might be one of my favorite partnerships so far from Grace Church. Um, I went over there. Uh, the pastor of Great Grace Church, Tim, is one of my good friends now. I'm in a pastor's group along with him and some other guys, um, like this guy Jeremy over here and a few other guys. And um, when I was there, that one of their pastors, he, it, who ha- happens to head up the kids' church, came up to me and handed me something. And... Uh, well, I'll just read the note that he gave to me. Um, you see, it says Grace Church, and it says, Dear Pastor JT and Freshwater Church, for the last three months, Grace Kids Church has been praying for you every Sunday, as well as directing our offering money towards you all in your ministry. We want you to know that you are loved and that this is an honor to be able to partner with you in being a light in Springfield. We pray God continues blessings on you and your church. So their kids have been praying for Freshwater Church for the last three months, and I got a, tr- a check the kids tithe for $140. Isn't that the sweetest thing ever? Noah, I think you should. You, Noah tried to clap, but nobody else is clapping with him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just a beautiful thing. You know what? I, some of you might, I hope this lands the right way, but you know what I kind of love about Grace Church too is they're not a Baptist church. Which would be fine if they were a Baptist church, right? But like they recognize, as I think we recognize, is we agree on almost everything. Like all the most important things that Jesus is Lord and the gospel, we agree on all those things. We have these minor differences, but we're all on the same team. We're all for the kingdom of God. We, want, we all want to make Jesus' name famous. And so Grace Church has become this amazing partner. And I just wanted to uh, let you guys know that, man, their kids have been praying for us for the last three months. That's just a beautiful thing. Um, all right, so if you haven't been with us, we started a new series last week called, it's not up there right now, Gavin, where's the slide, man? I'm joking. I'm, I'm teasing. I'm joking. I'm teasing. I'm just joking. It's not your responsibility. No, we started a new series called Prayer last week, and uh, we began this series not only because prayer, I think to, to most of us, it's pretty obvious, is one of the most in, important aspects of our faith in, in God and our faith in Jesus Christ, but because also because it's just, it's so difficult for so many people. And prayer is difficult for a lot of different reasons. And, and we can have times in our life when prayer is easier, and we can have times in our life when prayer is harder. And so it, it can be lots of things, whether we just know we don't pray enough, or we try to pray and we don't know exactly what to say, or, or things are going on in our lives like suffering or struggle or pain where it, it makes it hard to be motivated to pray or want to pray. We, we, we just simply um, feel like we're talking to a, a wall when we pray, like our prayers are going nowhere, that we're not, we're not really talking to anyone, even though we know we're technically talking to God. Most of us, no matter what the reasons are, we're, wish our, our prayer life was stronger. We wish it was more healthy. Not only that, um, you don't have to look very, very far in the Christian faith to find someone who knows the Bible really, really well but seems to kind of have like this cold, dead faith. You ever ran into somebody like that? 
they can beat you up with the truth of the Bible, but when it comes to love and kindness and gentleness, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, you don't really see that in them. How many of you have ever met a person who has a deep, deep prayer life, but is also a, a person who is unloving and unkind? I've never encountered that person, have you? Lots of Bible, like, you know we love Bible knowledge at this church, right? We preach the word of God. I'm not, you know I'm not knocking the Bible, but how many people that you know that have like this, seem to have this deep connection with God through prayer are not loving in their everyday life? It seems that people with deep, deep prayer lives have a vibrant faith because prayer is really the engine that drives our faith along with the word of God, yes and amen, but prayer is so important. So last week we started with a simple definition of prayer, a simple definition of prayer. And, and here's what it is. Uh, looking around the room, we'll see if she can do it again. Oh, Parker's in the back with her mom. Dang it, Parker was nailing this definition. I won't put Gabby on the spot, but is there anybody in here? Any kids? Hudson wasn't here last week. All right, I'm not gonna put any kids on the spot this week, but right, here's our, our definition of prayer. There's lots of different definitions of prayer, right? We could, keep, we could go really long definitions, but we kept it simple, and here it is. Prayer is a personal conversation and spiritual encounter with God. As we talked about in our elementary kids this morning, it's not just a conversation, right, Hudson? It's a personal conversation. We talk to God, it's got to be personal. We've got to connect with God, right? So it's a personal conversation with God and a spiritual encounter with God. Prayer is talking to God. It's confessing to God. It's asking God for what we need. It's praising him. It's all of those things. It's thanksgiving, but it's more than that. Listen, here's the most important thing about prayer that we don't think about all the time. Prayer is worship. We go to God in prayer so that we can worship him. It's coming to God to worship him for all that he is, for all of the things that he's done, for all the promises he's fulfilled, for all of the promises that he's promising us he will fulfill. And so in the end, as we connect with God, it's, it's God aligning our spirit with his spirit so, they, so that we might walk in his will, right, and the things that he would want. So in short, yes, it's a relationship, but it's also sometimes, I don't know if we think about it this much, it's a spiritual, listen, almost miraculous thing. It's this miraculous encounter with God. The God of the universe who created all things, who is in all things, wants to connect with you because he genuinely and affectionately cares about your prayers. He wants to hear from you. And so today what we're going to be getting towards is our is our anchor text. And if you haven't been with us, our anchor text is Matthew 6. And it's in Matthew 6, and it's the Lord's Prayer. Like the Lord is going to teach us to prayer through, through that passage, through, um, through Matthew 6. Right? So we want to have a personal connection with God. We want to know um, what God is doing. We want to know what it is to be a spiritual encounter. And I think we're going to find that through our anchor text in Matthew chapter 6. Now, there's going to be lots of others, other prayers we're going to look at as other than just the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. We're going to use, like I said, we're going to use that as our anchor text. We're going to use that to spill out into a lot of other prayers in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But here's the thing. When Jesus, just before he gets to his, the anchor text of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 9, in Matthew 6, 6, and Matthew, well, actually Matthew 5, 6, 7, and 8, he tells us first how not to pray. Before he shows us how to pray, he shows us how not to pray. So last week we looked at verses 5 and 6 in Matthew chapter 6. And we're not going to spend a lot of time here. But what Jesus made clear to us is if, if you think prayer is sounding good, if you think prayer is just having all the right things to say and using a bunch of holy words, if you think prayer is about um, you praying and other people thinking that you sound like you know what you're talking about, well, then you're completely missing the point of prayer. And the only reward, the only benefit you're going to get out of prayer is what other people think of you. 
And if that makes you feel good for four minutes after somebody thinks that you have a great prayer, well, then listen, that's your reward. But then Jesus says, but if you come to God in secret, if you come to him when no one else is watching, no one else is paying attention, you're coming to God simply because you love him and you long to be with him, not only are you going to connect with God, but it says that God will reward you. What a crazy thing that is, that God wants to reward you for just coming and doing the thing that you're supposed to do. Right, but it's not, it's not about just checking a religious box, just doing the thing he wants to do. It's connecting with the God of the universe. And the thing that he's going to reward you with is more of him. And for those of us, especially if you're a new Christian, that might not seem like the greatest reward, right? But like, listen, as we talked about earlier, God hates evil. Everything that's evil and hurtful and painful in this world comes from sin, comes from evil. But God is only goodness. He's only mercy. He's only forgiveness. He's only holiness. He's only righteousness. He's only all of the good things. So as we draw closer to God in prayer, we we are transformed to be more like Jesus. And we experience all of these things. So that no matter what happens in this life, really high highs or really low lows, we have a joy. We have a hope. We have an anchor. We have a core cornerstone that can't be taken away from us. That's what we really need. We're going to see someday when we get to heaven, that's all we're ever going to really long for. That's what just, just to know God more, to be more like him. That's the reward we get in prayer as we encounter him and his holiness and are transformed by it. Well, this week, Jesus has two more verses for us before we actually start in verse nine, the Lord's prayer. We're not actually getting the Lord's prayer until week three of a series about the Lord's prayer. But Jesus, it's Jesus's fault. He started off telling us what not to do. And he has something else to tell us not to do when we pray. And so if you're not familiar with the Lord's Prayer, let me just give you a little bit of context. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of Jesus's most famous sermons and starting in Matthew 5, right? And he talks about all kinds of things. He talks about anger and lust and adultery and divorce and, and money and how we give and just goes on and on. He covers a lot of topics, but one of the topics he prays is how, or he talks about is how we should pray. And so here's what I want to do. I want us to read our whole text that we're going to use for the series. We're going to start in Matthew 6. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew 6. And we're going to start in verse 5. We're going to read through verse 15 through the end of the text. But then we'll come back and we'll focus on verse 7 and 8 today. So Matthew 6, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not pray like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So where does Jesus start in our Text for today in verse 7, after we cover what he said last week in verse 5 and 6, he says, don't be like the Gentiles. If you're unfamiliar with that word, Gentile just means not Jewish people. I think that's almost everybody in the room. I mean, we've actually had a couple Jewish people with Jewish heritage attend our church, right? So I'll say most of us are Gentiles, non-Jewish peoples. And when he says, don't pray like them, he means the Gentiles at that time that worshiped other gods. Read verse 7 one more time. Matthew 6, verse 7. 
And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. And so at this time, what a lot of Gentiles do would do when they worship their pagan gods or like not the gods of the Bible is they would just repeat the same phrases over and over and over and over and over. Or they, sometimes they would even just repeat the, the name of their God over and over and over and over. And here, here was the thought with the way pagan gods work. They thought if they said the phrase enough times, the magical phrase enough times, or they said the name of their God enough times that their God would kind of be forced to listen to them. I saw this have, actually kind of happen in Hindu culture when I was in India. Like, they would do it so, so they could wake up their God. If that showed, I mean, like... Some of us are smiling, right? Like, you try not to smile. Like, they have to wake up their God. But that's, that's the kind of things that they believe, right? And so they, they would say these phrases to wake up their God or to make their God pay attention or to make their God answer them. What it ended up being is they were trying to earn the answer to their prayer, right? If they said it enough times, their God would kind of be required to answer them. And in and, and short, they were really trying to control what, what their God was going to do so they could get what they wanted. It was transactional relationship with their God. They could earn the answer to their prayer. Now here's just kind of a hard truth. I think many of us have, or many of us are at risk of doing the same types of things. Maybe we're not trying to pray to wake up our God, right? I think some of us just say, if we're honest, we just kind of say the same things over and over in our prayers, thinking that's what God wants. I remember when I was a kid, and if any of you have your kids say this, I apologize ahead of time, right? But I remember when I was a kid, every night, my parents would have me say the same prayer. Do you guys know what this one is? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Any of you still have your kids do that? I'm about to give you a hard time, so I want to make sure. (laughs) Now, (laughs) Now, first... Like, the first thing I thought of is, like, what in the world were my parents thinking? If I should die before I awake? Like, that's what I'm praying every night. Like, no wonder I had a fear of death when I was a little kid. Every night I was saying, well, if I die before I ever wake up, God, please take my my soul to heaven, which is a good prayer in a way, but holy cow, way to give a kid a complex. Secondly, um, I was just simply repeating the same phrase over and over. Right, especially as a kid, that, 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 prayer kind of terrified me, but it it didn't actually mean anything to me other than I thought that's what God wanted. I thought God wanted me to say this prayer. I wasn't really connected to that. Um, But here's the thing. I think some of us pray in a similar way to that, right? We might not be repeating the exact same phrase over and over and over, but we repeat the same prayers. And a lot of times there's no real heart behind it. There's no real love behind it. There's no, here's the important word, there's no real worship behind it because worship is rooted in love. It has to be. There's no real worship behind it. And if we're honest, we're just kind of checking the religious box. When I wake up, I'm supposed to pray. When we eat, I'm supposed to pray. When I go to bed, what up? we're just praying because we're supposed to pray. I think even more dangerous is some of us pray believing, whether we say it or not, that God should answer our prayers. Because we've done enough, because we've said enough, because we've been good enough, why wouldn't God answer our prayer? Deep down, it's an attitude that God is somehow kind of indebted to us. Like he's this like cosmic genie that we make our wish. And if we wish hard enough and we're good enough, that he's kind of required to answer that prayer that we want. Or he's not really good. Now, in this room, I don't think any of us would say that. I don't think any of us would take that one too far. But I think there's, 
been plenty of us in this room that said, I've prayed this long enough, and God, I've done enough, and I've been good enough, and I gave my life in this way. Why aren't you answering that prayer? And listen, God can, we've talked about before, God can handle your anger. God can handle your struggle. God can handle when you cry out to him and say, God, why aren't you doing this? Listen, God can handle, there's prayers like that in the Bible from really godly people, right? So I'm not saying if you're, if you're angry with God because he's not answering your prayer that, um, that somehow that's a disaster, right? But it is a disaster if we start feeling like God's indebted to us because of things that we've done. Because of things that we've done. Because if he doesn't do those things, he's, he's not good. You know what I think the biggest problem with those kinds of prayers is? It's just pretty simple. It's just not worship. Right? It's not being drawn into the glorious presence of our Savior and King. It's not growing our personal relationship with him. And it's certainly not having a spiritual encounter with God. It's a transactional relationship. It's a transactional relationship. And as I've said in this series already multiple times, if you're there right now, listen, it's okay. It's okay. Today's the day just to recognize that and maybe repent of that and realize in the end we don't have that much to offer God because as much as we think we've done good or we've earned certain prayers, we've done so much more for God to never answer our prayers. That's why Jesus Christ had to come. That's why he died on the cross. That's why we celebrate communion. We could never pay back the debt that we've given to God because just look at the Ten Commandments. We can't follow, hey, do not lie. Simple. But how many of you in this room are liars? Everybody raise your hand. You've lied. We've broken his law. It's we can't do the simplest things consistently over our lifetime. How dare we think that God owes us something? But what a gracious God we serve that he tells us that we can repent of those kinds of things, come back to him, and he's ready and waiting to hear our prayers connect with us, to love us, and to show us the way forward. Now, all of that being said about heaping up empty prayers and repeating the same things over, I don't want you to hear me say today that we can never repeat the same things in our prayers, because I'm not saying that either, Right? There's a very healthy way to do that. I think I've told you before that, that when I pray, I have repeated the same verses and passages over and over and over in my life because they draw me into the presence of God. Like, I, I worship God when I think about these things. Like, I've told you, like, when we were going through our Philippians series, I've told you I've repeated Philippians 4, right? Do not be anxious about anything but everything with prayer and supplication, right? Offer your request to God in the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, right? Can you tell that I might have thought about that passage a couple times? I told you I probably repeated that in my heart and thought about that and prayed over that 10,000 times. But it's not an empty phrase to me. You see the difference? Like, I need that prayer. When I get worried, when I get anxious, I need to be reminded that God's peace is more because it doesn't feel like it's more. So I need God. I need to go to God in prayer and be reminded. I pray Romans 8, stuff in Romans 8 all the time. Right? Do not operate in the flesh, but operate in the spirit. And all of that means I have to be reminded all the time that I am a child of God, bought by Jesus Christ. I'm a fellow heir with Christ, and nothing in all creation can separate me from God's love. I think about and pray about that all the time. Galatians 5, the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. I think about what the fruit of the Spirit is and how I want to walk in the fruit of the Spirit, and that I need God's help to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. I think and pray about that all the time. That's not what Jesus is talking about, right? It's empty phrases, but these mean so much to me. In Deuteronomy 6, we have a passage called the Shema, and really what it is, it's our introduction to what Jesus says later is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And it says that should be written on our doorposts. We should teach it to our children. We should, t- we should talk about it and think about it and pray about it all the time. This is not that we never do this. No, we just, we, it's about worship is what this is about. 
We need phrases. We need passages. We need those things to be reminded, but it's how we're approaching it. So here's the real problem for many of us. We'll go back to what we said at the beginning. Many of us just don't know how to consistently, daily, affectionately, worshipfully pray for any amount of time without running out of things to say, without saying the same things we always say, with it being just kind of hollow, or without having our minds wander into other things and into boredom. Does that sum up a lot of the things that we struggle with in prayer? There's more. We talked about it at Life Group this week on Wednesday. We talked about how all these things are real problems for people who are brand new to the faith and for people who've been in the faith for 40 or 50 years. We all struggle with some of these different things, if not at times, all the time. So what's our answer? What's our answer to these problems? I think our answer is twofold. One, we, we truly learn to pray from Jesus. That's what Matthew 6 is going to be about. And not just Jesus, but all the other prayers in Scripture. We learn from, but specifically from Jesus on how to pray, how to connect to our Father in prayer. He wants to teach us to do that. And we're going to strive to pray like Jesus. But secondarily, and very much in that same vein, here's what we do. We just simply pray the Bible. We pray the Bible. Now, does that, does that feel obvious to some of you, or is that like, kind of new information, like you just literally pray the Bible? Yes. Literally just pray the Bible. You know, John Piper, a pastor named John Piper once said that if he doesn't pray the Bible, he just ends up praying the same thing over and over, or his mind will just end up wandering, and his prayer, he feels like his prayer time is not effective. Man, I wish I had time to read to you about George Mueller today, who George Mueller might be one of the greatest men of prayer that has ever lived since the apostles, and he said basically the same thing, without praying over scripture daily, my prayers felt ineffective. My mind tended to wander. It was hard for me to connect with God. Do you think maybe if some, some might call modern day giants of the faith struggle with prayer sometimes, you might too? It's, it's okay, right? And so when I say we pray the Bible, another way you could say that is that we meditate on the word of God. We meditate on the word of God and then we talk to God about it. Psalm 1914, Psalm 1914 says this, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Church, what I'm, what I'm talking about here, and this might sound weird coming out of my mouth, right? But what I'm talking about here when I say meditating on the word of God and then praying it, I'm not talking about a theological breakdown of the text. Exegesis is what we call that, right? Breaking down exactly what the text means. Now, do you think I think that you need to know what the text means? For the love of God, say yes right? Context is, we absolutely have to have the context of the passage. We can't make the passage say whatever we want. We got to know what the Word of God says. If we don't know the, what the Word of God rightly says, then we can't rightly know who God is, because the only way we know who God is, is by the Word and by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's it. Community helps with that, but it's all rooted in the power of the Holy Spirit combined with the Word of God, right? So yes and amen, we need to know the text, but that's not really what I'm talking about here, Context matters. We need all that. But this is really just reading, having a passage, a lot of times a prayer in Scripture, reading it one line at a time, meditating on what it says, and then simply talking to God about it. And by the way, when you meditate and you're thinking through and you're praying, it doesn't always have to match exactly what that text says, but the text will help you, remind you of things you could pray about, and, and it'll bring into your heart things that, that you want to pray about, people you should pray for. Right? And so it's just, it's just walking through. One of the reasons, 
Um, we're going to look at so many prayers throughout this series, not just Ma- Matthew chapter 6, but so many other prayers, so we can learn from the prayers of others and maybe imitate them in some ways, because it's, it's the Word of God, prayers that were important enough to be in the Word of God, and so that we can literally pray them ourselves. So if this is kind of new to you, I want to help out with this. I don't want to just say this and leave, and leave you to it. So do me a favor, turn to Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is kind of like right in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 23. Dale, wake up. This is going to be important to you too. (laughs) You you with me, Dale? All right, good. All right. I know I'm boring, but stay with me, man. I want you to hear this. This could be effective for the rest of your life, right? Um, Psalm 23. And you know what Psalm 23 is? Anybody know? Take a guess. What's Psalm 23? It's a prayer, right? Psalm 23 is just, just a prayer. It's David talking to God. It's a prayer that he wrote down. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to read the, t- the first two verses. I'm going to start off with just reading the first verse so you can see what this means. I'm going to read it. We're going to meditate on it for a second, and then I'm going to pray. You ready? Verse 23. This is a famous psalm. That's why I picked it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now, I know some of you read that like, how can I pray over that? But here's what I mean by meditating. You don't just read it. You think about it. Like, Lord is my shepherd. Well, what is a shepherd? What does a shepherd do? A shepherd protects? A shepherd guards? A shepherd makes sure that the sheep are taken care of, that they have all that they need? Protects them from wolves? Sheep in community, in some ways, are kind of intelligent communally, but individually, they're dumb, and sheep will wander off, and they'll get themselves in trouble, right? And so a a shepherd does all of these things for his sheep, and this right here says, the Lord is my shepherd. I will not want, meaning he'll take care of my needs. And so you just think about what that really means, that the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord wants to take care of me. And the Lord wants to guide me to where I need to go, and he wants to protect me. He wants to guard me from the wolves out there, from, from the evil one, from, from the world that wants to corrupt me, that wants to take me down. The Lord wants to give me what I need. The Lord doesn't, the Lord doesn't want me to, to wonder all the time the next day how I'm going to be provided for. He wants to provide for me. The, the Lord's my shepherd. So let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being our shepherd. God, I think all of us in this room sometimes realize that we just get lost. Maybe it's in our own minds. Maybe it's in our desires. Maybe it's in this life. We just get lost. But God, thank you that you're there guiding us back and protecting us, calling us back to the flock, calling us back to where we need to be. God, I love in your word how it says that you want to to guard our our hearts. God, not only do you want to protect our lives, but you want to guard our hearts from the evil that's in this world, from our own desires that will lead us astray, from our own sin. Not only that, God, that you want to provide for us what we need. God, I pray that you would help me. I pray you'd help us to believe that. Jesus, we thank you that you you present yourself as the great shepherd, that Jesus, you are the fulfillment of this this statement in this verse, you're the fulfillment of this prayer, that you, you came so that you could be our great shepherd, so that no matter what, you know, we can know that you are for us, that you are with us, that you're protecting us, that you're guarding us, that you're guiding us through the power of your Holy Spirit, that we have everything that we truly need in you. Help us to believe that, Lord, because God, sometimes it's hard to believe that you are everything that we need. In the end, that you are it, that you are the great shepherd, that we just look to you because we are the lost sheep, but God, we... But, but God, you are. And God, I know there's also so many people in our lives that need to know this, that need to believe this, that they are lost. They are wandering off and wolves are gonna devour them. This, this world and their desires and sin are gonna devour them. Yet God, you call them to come, come to the flock, come to the family 
and be under you, our great shepherd. And so, God, I pray that you would give us motivation to reach out to people who don't know you so they might love you and so they might know you for who you are, our great shepherd. Jesus, we thank you. Amen. Church, that's just one word. That's just one verse. Do you see how that can work? You just keep going. You don't run, you don't run out of things to, to pray because, the, well, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of Bible here that you can pray through and talk through. And hear me, it's, for some of you in this room to do that, it's not going to come as easy as that as it does for me. But listen, I wasn't always a pastor. It comes easy for me because I do this 8 to 10 hours a day every day of the week, right? This is what I do. This will be learned behavior for you. You'll learn how to do this more and more. If we went to verse 2, and I'm not going to do the whole thing again, but he makes me lay down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Let me just show you how you can meditate on this just for a second. Like think about why a shepherd has the sheep lie down in green pastures so they have a good place to rest, so they can rest in safety. And God wants to be our rest. He wants us to know that he's for us. And then he leads me beside still waters. I don't know if you know this, but sheep won't drink, won't drink from like a roaring river or a babbling brook. It scares them. They're skittish. They get afraid too easily. So they have to find like a, a tributary that goes off to the side or a pond or still, still water so they'll actually drink what they need. So the end, that's what we need. God takes us to a place where we, we can come and listen, drink from him, the good shepherd. He doesn't want us to operate in worry and fear and be skittish. He wants us to be confident and bold and know that he is going to provide for us what, he, what we need. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be anxious. We've got him. Do you see how that can lead into prayer? So that's what we do. Right? You don't know what to pray. This is what you do. I'll tell you right now, um, I got a little bit of an ADD problem. If I don't have something to keep my prayers focused, Holy cow. Sometimes I keep a notebook beside me when I'm praying. So when my thoughts come to my mind that I can't get out of my mind, I just write them down and then like a to-do list or whatever else. So then I, I have it down so I can come back to it and I go to God's word. Like I pray for lots of things like the rest of, like, like everybody does, but I bet at least two thirds, probably 75% of my prayers are talking to God about things that he said in his word. Because that's, that's what I need. Like, I'm gonna, I pray for people, and I pray for our church, and I pray for the lost, and I pray for sickness, and I pray for, all of, I pray for all of those things. But a lot of those things, this morning, I woke up and I prayed the Lord's Prayer. And I thought through the Lord's Prayer and why it means so, so much to me. And I already brought up a lot of the passages that I pray all the time. There's lots of prayers you can pray in the Word of God. Psalms is full of them. Go through Psalms. But like I said before, it doesn't have to be prayers. I pray passages that encourage me and remind me about who God is and who I am all the time. And there's so much Bible you could pray over and meditate on and think through that you'll never run out of things to pray. So I think all of that is, is helpful, and I think all of that is good, and that gives us practical steps to move forward. But in verse 8, Jesus gives us the real reason we don't need to just, hump, don't need to just heap up a bunch of empty prayers, a bunch of empty phrases, so I want to read Matthew 8 one more time. Read Matthew in, in chapter 6. Read Matthew 8 one more time. Jesus says, do not be like them, meaning the Gentiles that just pray empty prayers. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, that's a pretty big statement. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So we don't heap up a bunch of empty prayers because God already knows what we need. God already knows what we need before we even ask, before we even voice the words. Now, that, I want you to know that is meant to be incredibly encouraging to you, church, that God already knows what we need. Because here's the truth. We don't always pray the right things, do we? We don't always ask for the right things. We don't always pray the right things. So even if we totally mess it up, even if we don't have the perfect words, it's okay. Do you know why it's okay? Because God already knows what you need. He already knows the best prayer. If we love him, God is always for us. 
He's always guiding us to the right place. He's always got our back, whether we have our prayers nailed down or not. And that's amazing. We'll talk about it late, more later in the series, but even Romans 8, one of my favorite chapters, right, talks about how when we pray the wrong things, the Holy Spirit is helping us pray the right things. The Holy Spirit is praying on our behalf, which kind of blows my mind. It's hard for me to understand that, right? But the Holy Spirit is praying on our behalf so that we might pray the right things, guiding us into the right things to be praying for. That's incredible. It's meant to be unbelievably encouraging that God's got us like that so we can pray boldly. Now, I don't want to just leave that one alone because that does raise a question a passage like God already knows what you pray before you pray and knows what you need before you even ask. So if, the question sometimes comes, if God already knows what we need, if he already knows what we're going to say, then why do we pray at all? You ever thought that before? Like what's the point of praying if God already knows what we're going to, to pray for? What? Honestly, that's a really good question. If anybody ever asked that question, don't act like that's not a good question. It's a really good question. Now, I think some people might say that the real point of prayer is so that we can talk to God so that he might align our hearts to his, so that he might align our will to his, so that our spirit might be aligned to his, that we might know his will, and we might be transformed to be more like Christ through our personal conversations and through our spiritual encounters with God. And I would say to that, yes and amen. I think that probably is the main point of prayer. Like in the end, to glorify God and be transformed to be more like him, right? So yes, and I've had people say, well, that's the point of prayer. That's why you pray. Now, even though I think that's at least partially right, there's a problem with saying that's the only thing that's right. And here's the problem. The Bible clearly and explicitly and repeatedly over and over tells us that prayer is more than that. God tells us over and over to ask in prayer, and if we do, he will answer. In Luke 11, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. In 1 John, the apostle John, in 1 John 5, it says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. John is telling us to ask in prayer because God wants to answer And it's not just that we ask God and he answers. It's that sometimes, so hear me, our prayers literally change things. Like literally change things. Now people try to explain some of this stuff away, but like in Exodus 32, Moses goes up on the mountain, right? After he frees the the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, Moses goes up on the mountain. He's talking with God for multiple days. Like the glory of God is all around him. He's actually giving him the Ten Commandments. And while Moses is up there, what happens? They, they mold and they shape a golden calf and start, start worshiping it. One of the things in the Bible that just blows my mind, how in like less than a few days do they start worshiping a golden calf? Well, because they're humans and they're idiots and they need God just like the rest of us, right? So God says, these stiff-necked people, I just rescued them from one of the most powerful nations in the world and now they're worshiping a golden calf. Moses, I'm killing them all and I'm gonna keep my promises through you. That's a bold statement, right? Moses was from the line of Abraham. He could have kept, kept Jesus' line through Moses all the way to the end, right? I'm killing them all. And what does Moses do? He prays. And he, he doesn't say, God, for me. He says, God, for the sake of your name, for the sake of your goodness and your mercy that is seen to the nations, for the sake of your name that rescued us, and all the nations are talking about it, God, relent from this disaster that you're going to bring on your people for your name, not for them, for your name. And what does God do? He relents from the disaster that he was going to bring from the people. It's crazy. Jonah. You guys know the story of Jonah? Belly of the well. We don't have time for Jonah today, but God tells Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and give them the message that I'm going to give them. Jonah did not want to go. Do you know why? 
Because Nineveh was full of evil people that had persecuted the Israelites. That, like, they did like, te- I don't have time for it. They were terrible. They were terrible. Jonah doesn't want to go. You know why? Because he knows God's full of stead- steadfast love and mercy. And he doesn't want to go tell them that. Right? So Jonah goes to the city. And basically Jonah's message, yeah, you're evil and God's going to destroy all of you. Good luck. Jonah leaves. What are they, well, you know what happens in that story? We always talk about Jonah, but this is the most amazing thing in the story. The king of Nineveh, evil man evil culture, says God's going to destroy us. We need to repent and ask for forgiveness. And the king and the city pray. And what does God do? He relents from the disaster he said he was going to bring to the city. He gives them forgiveness. God says, I'm going to destroy Nineveh. And then they pray. And then God says, I'm not going to destroy Nineveh. It changed things. Do we have time for one more? No, we don't have time for one more. Read the story about Abraham and Sodom and Gomorrah. When he's like, Say, God, you're going to destroy this city? Save it for 50, for 40, for 30, for 20, for 10, for 5. Every time, God's like, okay, Abraham, for you. Okay, Abraham, for you. Okay, Abraham, for you. Over and over. We could just keep going. I had so many more. I mean, there's prayers from Elijah. There's prayers from Joshua. There's prayers from Peter. There's prayers from Paul. There's all kinds of things where, like, prayer literally changes things sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes. Now, just quickly, we also have instances of God answering prayers with a different answer. And you know what that answer is? No. Because he's good. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says, Father, if there's another way, is there another way? What's God's answer to Jesus in the Garden? No. And through that answer of no, God did the greatest thing that has ever been done in the history of the world. When Paul was struggling with a thorn in his side, we don't know what that thorn was. It could have been physical, emotional, spirit. I don't know what it was, but he has a problem that he wanted God to take away. He asked three times, what did God say? No. He said, Paul, you need this thing because I've given you so much. This will keep you humble. The weakness that you have in that thing will remind you that I'm your strength. I've given you too much. You need this thing. And look, Paul's ministry changed the world because God said no, but God answered. God's promising he'll answer, and he did answer. So here's the thing. Can, here's, here's the important thing. Can anything in all of creation change God's sovereign control, omniscience, omnipresence, and rule over all things? Can anything change that? No. God is unchangeable. God is unmovable. Right? You remember that. He's unchangeable and he's unmovable. But do we see from the word of God that sometimes prayer literally changes things and sometimes even changes what God says he's going to do, including changing things in the physical world? Yes, absolutely it does. Now, how can those two things coexist? God be completely sovereign and in control of all things, and yet our prayers can, can literally change things. How can those two things coexist? I don't know, but they do. It's a mystery of how God works. And listen, I'm telling you, it's one of the best mysteries ever, right? Because God's love for us is so great. His mercy for us is so great that he is truly, listen, he's invited us in. Listen, we can't change God's ultimate plans. We can't change his plan to redeem all things and and to redeem the whole world, yet somehow God allows our prayers to matter and to matter significantly. That's good. Everybody's looking up there. I'm like, did that just pop up? (laughs) Okay, yeah, keep reading that, right? But God has made it so our prayers, they matter. And listen, if our prayers didn't matter, Our faith and our prayers would just feel hollow, wouldn't they? It would feel pointless. And by the way, some people feel that way. They're like, if God already knows what I'm going to pray, why would I even pray? And they just, they lack the motivation to pray. But the the thing is, he is in complete control. 
But he's invited us in to be a part of his plan of redemption and our prayers matter and they change things. But also be, find confidence in that because can you imagine if God said yes to all of our prayers, what a disaster that, that would be? I, I can't even imagine. Isn't there a movie that's about that? I don't remember, but I think there's a movie that's like God said yes to all the prayers and it just, it's a complete horror show. Like it would be a horror show. I think, we'd, I think we would live in paralyzing fear if God answered all our prayers, because it would be such a disaster. So in the end, the fact that God is fully sovereign, but also invites us to partner with him in prayer so that we might experience who he is and his grace is one of God's greatest gifts to us. God's greatest gifts to us. Because even in our wrong prayers, God is sovereign over all things. So you just pray with absolute confidence. You just pray with absolute confidence for a God who loves us. So I'm going to close with this thought. We can look at the ways that Jesus tells us not to pray in verses 5 through 8 over the last couple of weeks, and it can kind of paralyze us with fear, and it can make us intimidated, and we can rob our confidence. Listen, I'm telling you, you, Christ has given these things for our benefit, not to make us hesitant. It's the opposite. He's saying don't pray like this, but do pray like this because he wants us to pray with confidence. Not, right? So Jesus is going to lay out an example for prayer starting next week. But before we get there, I want us all to be praying with boldness and confidence over the next week. So I'm going to give you six things. I'm talking like in the next two minutes. So if you take notes, get ready. Six things I want you thinking about, and we're going to dive into deep, deeper into all of these things as the series goes on. So these are going to come rapid fire. This is how we pray. According to Colossians 4, we are to pray steadfastly meaning with a heart fully given to prayer, right? Consistently and fully given to prayer, steadfastly. We are to pray diligently, like the example of the widow in Luke 18, who would not stop praying, would not stop coming to the king. You keep praying diligently. We're to pray without ceasing. That's what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray all the time. Learn to talk to God like you talk to your spouse, like you talk to a friend. Just start talking to him. Yes, you can stop, stop and pray, but also just pray as you are going. We are to pray faithfully, as Jesus says in Mark 11, believing God has already answered the things that we pray. God will answer. We are to pray confidently, as Jesus said in Luke 11, and as we see in Hebrews 10, 19 through 23. Just at, we come before the throne of God with confidence. And finally, we are to pray humbly, like the example left by the tax collector in Luke 18, who brought nothing to the table and just said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. But he prayed with humbleness. And God, and Jesus said, God exalts that prayer. He lifts up, he honors that prayer because it was given humbly, steadfastly, diligently, without ceasing, faithfully, confidently, and humbly. If we pray like that, church, and if we pray with the word of God guiding us, it will be extremely difficult for us to go wrong. It'll be so hard for us to go wrong. So I'm going to close with a prayer this week like we did last week. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 23. We're going to finish out that prayer. And here's what I want us to do together as we close out in Psalm 23. As we read that prayer, I want you to look at things that are in that prayer that you might meditate on right now. That you might talk to God right now. It might be one word. It might be one phrase. It might be one verse. But as we read it, if anything sticks out to you, right when we're done reading this, I want you to pray right where you are. Maybe you need to confess. Maybe you need to praise God. Maybe you need to repent of something. Maybe you need just need to talk to God. Maybe you need to ask God something. Maybe you need to talk about a need. Or maybe you just need to pray the words that are in this prayer right here because you have nothing else to say. But let's use this to stir our prayers because some of us have not prayed in a long time. And some of you have been praying during this service that God would move. But either way, we need to 
consistently, diligently, steadfastly talk to God. So I'm going to read Psalm 23, and then I'll give us two or three minutes to pray right where you are. And then after those two or three minutes, I'll close this in prayer. Read Psalm 23 with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. For even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. For your rod and your staff, that's the rod and the staff of a shepherd who protects his sheep. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why don't you talk to the Lord right now?